welcome you all to the Village Church, uh, where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. And our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. Of course, my name is Amos Williams. I work, I serve on staff here as the small group and outreach coordinator. And uh, we just want to get up and, and, and give you some uh, some announcements this morning. Uh, so we want to welcome uh, those of us who are here with us today and those who are joining us via our Facebook live stream as well. So here are a couple of announcements for you. Our corporate prayer uh, continues Wednesday, March 10th at 7 p.m. Uh, next Sunday, uh, Pastor Alex will be out at the pulpit and Amos Williams, it's me, We'll be covering uh, the pulpit, continuing our series through the book of Matthew. Now, this is very important. Daylight savings time begins March 14th. That's next Sunday. So remember to set your clocks ahead one hour. Remember that, guys. Flocknote is the tool we use to communicate as a church body. It lets you choose what info you'd like to receive via email or text uh, from the various ministries or groups uh, from within our church. You can subscribe to Flocknote at any time. There are two easy ways to connect, so pick one. Visit our church at flocknote.com forward slash the village church or text Join the, uh, join the mission to 84576. Let me say that again. Text join the mission to 84576 to subscribe to updates from the Village Church. Now, we want to make you aware of ways that you can partner with the Village Church and you can give to the mission and the vision of the Village Church. And you can give via our church website at www.intothevillage.net forward slash give. You can also mail a check to the church offices. And our address is 2103 Virginia Boulevard, Huntsville, Alabama, 35811. Or if you are joining us here in the sanctuary, after the service, you can drop off your offering in the designated area at the back of the sanctuary. Lastly, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Oh, uh, one last announcement. Uh, Women's Ministry will be sending out an interest form this week for discipleship groups in order to uh, begin the organization of the discipleship groups. Discipleship groups will start the first week of April. Those are your many announcements. Please govern yourselves accordingly. Now, let's go before our Lord in prayer uh, to ask him uh, to bless our time today. Father in heaven, what a joy and a blessing it is to be able to gather in your house uh, this morning. Father, you have revealed yourself as eternally existing in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Lord, you have revealed yourself as a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping 
steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. God, since that is your character, we put our hope and our faith and our trust in you, who are, who is the one and only true living and sovereign God. Lord, we ask that you would bless our time today, that you would center our hearts and our minds on the finished work of Christ at Calvary. Lord, let your resurrection be real to us, because it is real. It is true. And Lord Jesus, if you're able to raise yourself from the dead, there is nothing that you can't do. Lord, you can do all things but fail. So, Spirit, we ask that in this gathering, you would move in a special way. Spirit, we rejoice in the fact that all of uh, the, the blood-bought believers that have gathered here today in this sanctuary and that are gathering with us virtually uh, brought you along with us. And so we pray that you would move in the hearts and minds of people today. Begin the process of regeneration and restoration in, in the hearts of those who, who may not believe in uh, the Lord Jesus yet. Let your gospel be proclaimed and let truth prevail in our gathering on today. It is in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit that I do pray. Amen. Good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. If you would please stand for our call to worship. It is taken from the song, um, the lyrics of the song, Because of Who You Are. Please join with me where it notes congregation and together. Because of who you are, I give you glory. Because of who you are, I give you praise. Because of who you are, I will lift my voice and say, Lord, I worship you because of who you are. Lord, I worship you because of who you are. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Jehovah Nisi, Lord, you reign in victory. Jehovah Shalom, my Prince of Peace. And I worship you because of who you are. Please bow for a word of prayer. Father, you are our provider. You provide for our needs according to your riches and glory. You are Jehovah Nisi. You reign in victory. You are our banner. You are our battle axe. You are Jehovah Shalom, our Prince of Peace. You speak peace into our storms. You sent the Comforter to be with us, to speak peace into our spirits. You are our hiding place, our resting place. We can hide under the shadow of your wings 
Father, we just praise you for all that you are. That you are all-powerful. You are all-knowing. You are everywhere. You are Emmanuel. Because of all of that and more, we can rest. We can rest. So we praise you for that. We worship you today, Lord. We glorify your name. All glory and honor and wisdom and power is yours. And we've come to this place to just acknowledge your position as King of kings, Lord of lords, the most high God who does indeed reign in victory. You sit high and you look low. And you hold us with your mighty right hand. And we thank you and we praise you for that. God, so we just ask you to move in our midst today. Spirit, soften our hearts. And uh, as we've gathered in this place on one accord, Father, help us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So we just, we praise you, we love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Let's confess our faith together. Our confession of faith today is taken from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. All right, yep, it's up on the screen. Uh, I'll read the question and we will recite the answer all together. What authority from God directs us how to glorify and enjoy him? The only authority for glorifying and enjoying him is the Bible, which is the word of God. It is made up. Amen. Our uh, text on which the sermon is based this morning is Matthew 9. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. This is God's word. Please listen carefully. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowds saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, 
who had given such authority to men. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. We're going to have a time of prayer of supplication. So uh, please uh, join me as we go to the Lord in, in prayer. Father, we, we don't surprise you when we're bringing our knees before you. You already know. But yet you still calls, call us to bring all of our prayers to you, all of our supplications thanksgiving and so father i, I want to bring before you the, the needs of our body that you were ministered to those needs i pray for the marriages within our body that you will strengthen them i pray you give energy and stamina to to parents i pray for uh, those who are working at home and, and they are tired of being on zoom every day i pray that you will give them an extra measure of grace strength. I pray for those who are feeling isolated and, and, and don't they want to be around community and friends. Lord, I pray that you give them outlets to stay connected with one another through phone calls or, or whatever, Lord. They would be intentional in reaching out. Lord, I pray for those of us who are afraid, those of us who are struggling with mental health, those of us who are struggling with um, joblessness, hopelessness, those of us who have lost loved ones and still dealing with grief. Father, I pray that you were minister. I pray that you were healed, Lord. And Father, I pray for wisdom for the leaders of our church, for our elders and our deacons, that you were minister. I pray for the women's ministry leadership team, that, that you give them wisdom as they prepare to start up these discipleship groups next month. 
I pray for the brothers who are going through officer training, that you will minister to them, their families, give them discernment on, on whether or not the timing is right for them to serve. I pray for the unity and diversity team, that, that you will give them wisdom as they lead and guide our congregation and to have a genuine intercultural relationships with one another. Father, we need more than just our plans and our budgets and our agendas and our intellect and our resources. We we are in desperate need for your spirit to move and to provide. So, Lord, the spirit doesn't move. If he doesn't intercede, then, then nothing really gets done. Nothing really happens. So, Father, we we bring ourselves to to your mercy seat and ask that you would do far greater things than we can ask or imagine. You are not a God who who is caught off guard, like I said. You, You are a God who is always on point, a God who is always intentional, a God who never gets tired, a God who doesn't need a nap. So you're always at work. And Lord, I pray for our kids, our youth. I pray for each of them, that each of them will come to saving faith. They will come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Early in life. They'll never know a day in which they didn't know Christ. Lord, I pray for our city. I pray for our country. I pray for wisdom for our elected officials. That you give them wisdom, that they will be good leaders. And they will lead well. And Lord, I pray for all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, I want to welcome um, everyone to the Village Church. Uh, those of you who are here personally, those of you who are tuning in online, I am uh, Pastor Alex. I'm the senior pastor here at the church. And thank you so much for uh, being uh, with us. I came across a funny illustration this week as I was uh, writing uh, this sermon. And the illustration says a a Department of Water Resources representative stops at a, a Texas ranch and talks with an old rancher. He tells the rancher, I need to inspect your ranch for water allocation, for your water allocation. And the old rancher says, okay. But, but don't go to the field over there. Don't go to that field. The water representative says, Mister, I have the authority for the federal government with me. You see this card? This card means I'm allowed to go wherever I wish on any agricultural land. No questions asked or answered. Have I made myself clear? Do you understand? Well, the old rancher nods politely and goes on with his chores and la- and later the old rancher he he hears screams and he sees the water rail running for his life and close behind is the rancher's bull the bull is gaining 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 with every step and the rep is terrified so the old rancher immediately throws off his tools and he runs to the fence and and he yells at the top of his lungs, show your card, your card, show him your card. Many of us are like this water rail. We have card carrying authority. 
And we don't have any problems letting other people know about it. I'm the boss. I'm the team leader. I'm the pastor. I'm the teacher. I'm the coach. I'm the supervisor. I'm the man of this house. I'm the woman of this house. I'm the team captain. I'm the big brother or the big sister. I have superiority. I'm the ministry share person. And I'm the parent. And every parent has said that to their kids. But eventually, but eventually, our car carrying authority meets its match just like this water rail. We will encounter situations that, that reveal to us the fragility of our car carrying authority. And today is one of those situations. And no, I don't have a bull hiding in the baptism that's going to jump out and chase y'all around the sanctuary, though that will be funny. The situation is a person, and that person is Jesus. It's Jesus and his authority. We encounter him and his authority in the text before us today in Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 34. And, you know, the title of this sermon is The Authority of the Way. The authority of the way. And the main idea is that the authority of the way is greater than all other forms of authority. It's greater than our car carrying authority. Please look with me at Matthew 9, beginning in verse 18. I'm going to pick up where Amos left off during the scripture reading. Here's the word of your God and King. While he was saying these things, to them, behold, can y'all hear me? Okay, I feel like you can't. Behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her, and she will live. Then Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I would be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when he came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but just sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this event spread through all the, spread throughout the district. And as he passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes. According to your faith, let it be done. And their eyes were open. And he sternly warned them, sternly warned them, see that no one knows about this. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all that district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-possessed man who was mute brought, was brought to him. And when the demon has been, had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisee says, 
he cast out demons by the prince of demons. This is the word of our God and King. Please pray with me and for me. Father, Holy Spirit, as we now come to the preaching of the word, I pray as I pray each week, Spirit, that, that you have to you have to do your thing here. The preacher is, is just a preacher. The preacher isn't supernatural. The preacher isn't divine. The preacher is not part of the Godhead. The preacher is just a vessel. A vessel that, that needs you to move. And so the preacher does the work, does the sermon prayer, but you still have to take the preached word and, and move it into the minds and hearts of, of the people who are tuning in. So, Holy Spirit, you have to take off the scales. You have to soften hearts. You have to clear minds. You have to do that. My prayer is that you would do that. First in my heart and in my mind and in the hearts and minds of everyone that's here and everyone that's tuning in virtually. That you would do that, Holy Spirit. Preaching is supernatural. Because the Spirit has to move to make it effectual. So, Spirit, be our counselor, be the helper, be the one who leads us into all truth. And give each of us the humility to submit ourselves to the word of God, even when that word convicts us, even when that word challenges us, even when that word rebukes us. And I pray for all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew chapter 9, it opens with uh, Jesus and his disciples uh, sailing away from the land of the the, um, Cardarians after the residents asked him to leave. And so they get into their boat and they set sail to Jesus' hometown, which is Capernaum. And it it serves as his ministry headquarters. It's the the home base of, of his ministry operations. And it's the place where where he's going to display his greater authority, the authority of the way. And first, we're going to see Jesus exercise authority over sin. We're going to see him exercise authority over sin because the authority of the way is greater than the authority of sin. But do y'all believe it? And that is an amen statement. Come on. Come on. Work with me. I need y'all to work with me. And what do you believe? Jesus exercises this authority in an encounter that he has with a disabled, disabled man and some religious scholars. As soon as he and his disciples get off the boat, some people come to Jesus seeking help. I mean, they don't even have time to stretch their muscles before people are coming for help. Look at verse 12 with me. Matthew says, and behold. This is a common phrase throughout the book of Matthew. This is Matthew's way of telling his readers, y'all need to pay attention to what's getting ready to happen. Pay attention to what, what I'm getting ready to say next. Some people bring to Jesus a paralytic that was lying on his bed, for he's unable to walk to Jesus in his own strength. He doesn't have the authority and the power to come to Jesus on his own, so he needs the help of his friends. They carry him to Jesus as he lays on his bed. They carry, and carrying him is the only option. They don't have a wheelchair and no transportation vehicle is coming. So they had to carry this guy 
I'm pretty sure they had to carry him a long way. And sometimes y'all going to need your friends to carry you to Jesus. Because maybe you just can't come in your own strength. And why do y'all think they bring him to Jesus? And the answer is obvious, right? It's for healing. They believe Jesus has the authority to heal their disabled friend. He can't heal himself, right? And they can't heal him either. You see, they're trusting Jesus. They're trusting that Jesus is able to do that what they themselves can't do for their friend. All they can do is bring him to Jesus. That's it. And so they place him before Jesus without even asking for help. I don't know if you noticed that as Amos read. They don't even ask for help. They're probably just tired. Here. And the man himself doesn't even ask Jesus for help. All we have here is, in verse 2, is their nonverbal actions, which Jesus notices. He sees their active love towards their friend in need, and it moves him. He's moved by the way that they're loving their friend who is in need. And And he comes closer to them, and he says and does something they didn't expect him to do. Okay, he moves in a way that they didn't expect. Does Jesus have the authority to move in your life in ways you didn't ask for and in ways you didn't expect? Because you may come to Jesus for one thing, but he says, no, I'm going to give you this because this is better. Look at verse two again. Behold, some people bring to him a paralytic lying on the bed. And when Jesus sees their faith, he says to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Take heart, my son. Have courage. Be glad, my son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus sees beyond the man's physical disability in order to deal with his deeper spiritual disability, his greater need. Notice Jesus doesn't say, take heart, my sons. My son, your sins will be forgiven down the road. Notice that. Jesus forgives his sin in the present tense. At this very moment, as Jesus uttered those words, this man's sins are are forgiven. Please understand something, saints and guests, that Christ doesn't gain authority over sin at the cross and through the resurrection. Now, he defeats them there. He has authority over sin right now. At that very moment, before the cross, before the resurrection, he has the authority to forgive sin now. Jesus is that dude. He is. And what he's showing you is that I don't have a fragile, card-carrying authority like that water ramp at the beginning of the sermon. His authority is divine and from on high, and he has spoken. Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. My kids help me stay current with the latest lingo and slang. I don't realize how old I am until I start talking with them. For example, they taught me the meaning of the phrase no cap or that's cap. And I had no idea what that meant until they explained it to me. It means that's a lie or no lie. See, now there's a group of religious scholars 
they come to Jesus using that phrase. They, when they hear Jesus speaking to this disabled man. So as Jesus says to this man, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. These scholars are saying to themselves, that's cow. That, that, that's a lie. Hey, and I get it. I, I understand why they feel that way. For, for there's only one being who has the authority and the power to forgive sin. And that is Yahweh Elohim. He is the Lord God. Jesus is just a man, not God, according to these religious scholars. How does he have the authority to forgive sin? He's not God. So they don't like that Jesus is placing himself on the same level as Yahweh Elohim. So they question and deny Jesus' authority to forgive sin, and they accuse him of blasphemy, trying to steal God's authority. Look at verse 3. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blasphemy. Blasphemy. Is he really? No. They're completely wrong. Their accusation of Jesus is what's capped. Jesus is not guilty of blasphemy, for he is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, the God-man, fully human and fully divine. He has full authority over sin right now, full authority to forgive it. These religious scholars don't know who he is, and they refuse to believe in him and submit to him and his authority. So they question it, and they deny it. What about y'all? What about y'all? Do you question and deny Jesus' authority? Not just in the world, but his authority over your life. Remember, these scholars aren't accused. They're not, they're, they are not accusing Jesus publicly. They're not saying these things out loud. They're either whispering among themselves or each of them are thinking the same thing in their hearts. And yet Jesus still knows it. Again, Jesus is that dude, man. He sees them, their thoughts, their motives, and intentions. He sees it as clear as day. Their gossipy whispers and inner voice isn't hidden from Christ. And so he asked them two questions in verses 4 and 5. The first question is direct. It's like a knife that cuts their chest and reveals their heart. Because they're thinking bad thoughts about Jesus, and he knows it. Look at verse 4. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, says, why do y'all think evil in your hearts? Why? Why do y'all think evil's in your hearts? The second question reveals what Christ, uh, it relates to what Christ says to the disabled man. See, he's seeking their opinion by, by saying, for which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? The answer is clear. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's really no way to verify someone's sins have been granted. Sorry, easy to say. Hold on, I messed up my thought. Yeah, it's easy to say your sins are forgiven because there's no way to verify that sins, the forgiveness has been granted. That's easier to say. And, and Jesus doesn't give the scholars a, a chance to respond to the question. Instead, he checks them. He corrects them. He, he, and he says to himself, these scholars are going to learn today. That's right. Today, y'all are going to learn to stop messing with me. 
In the message Bible, Jesus says, well, just so it's clear that I am the son of man and authorized to either say your sins are forgiven or say rise and walk or even both. Pay attention. Jesus turned to the disabled man and says, get up, take your bed and go home. And that brother gets up, picks up his bed and goes home. He just received a double blessing from Jesus. Two scoops of ice cream with sprinkles on top. Sins forgiven and he's healed. And the crowd watching this are like, dang, Jesus, don't hurt him. Do y'all see what happened? He's on fire. The people are amazed and filled with fear of the Lord because of what they just witnessed. They are witnessing this. And they're like, dang, did this just happen? He just told this this old man to get up and go home and he did it. He didn't even touch him. The crowd sees it in verse 8. And they are afraid. And they glorify God who gives such authority to men. That's the authority of the way given to only Christ. Christ alone. He has full authority over sin. He has full authority to to forgive the sins of sinners, past, present, and future. And there's another way that he has authority over sin in Matthew 9. And the second way is seen in verses 9 through 13. Uh, after his encounter with the disabled man and the religious scholars, Jesus and his disciples, they pass on, and they they, they eventually run into a person that Jesus knows. He they, He's met him before. They, he, they, they run into him while the man is at work. So Jesus basically shows up on this guy's job unannounced. And how would you feel if someone comes up to your job unannounced? You know, they just shows up. You don't even know they're coming. How would you feel if your pastor did that? Well, I'm showing up. How you doing? Jesus visits this person on his job unannounced, but the visit is intentional. It's not a coincidence. So who is this person? His name is Matthew. And Matthew works for the man. Okay. He works for the man. And the man is the Roman Empire. You see, Matthew has a good government job with benefits. It's a good government job. But this type of job can be filled with corruption. Matthew is a tax collector. And he's a Jew, but he's a tax collector. And he collects taxes for his own people, for the man. Do you know that he's not very liked by his own people? And most tax, collectors, most tax collectors are wealthy, and Matthew is one of them. He is. Jesus sees him at the tax office. Then he says to him, follow me. Follow me. Jesus extends a call to Matthew. The call is not a general call. It is a particular call that indicates a continuing following. You see, Matthew is being called by Jesus to be one of his disciples. Jesus is exercising his authority to call sinners into discipleship. And that's the second way he has authority over sin. Sin doesn't have the authority to stop him from calling sinful people out of their sin and into a discipleship relationship. It does not. He calls Matthew. Matthew gets up from the tax booth and he follows Jesus without comments, without questions, without suspicion, without saying how long is it going to take, without saying when are we going to get there, without saying where are we going. 
Luke 5, 28 says Matthew leaves everything to follow Christ, his job and his old way of life. This is faith. This is faith. What say y'all? Has Jesus shown up into in your life unannounced and said, follow me? If you are a Christian today, he has done that. And you responded to that call of discipleship in faith. So celebrate the effectual call of Christ on your life. Celebrate the, the work of the Spirit who changed your heart with the work of regeneration so you can say yes to the call. Matthew celebrates after making his decision for Christ. He celebrates with a house party. A house party. Jesus and his disciples are invited guests. And Matthew also invited some other types of guests, too. Some people who considered to be social outcasts. These are not the, these are not the kinds of people that, that any respectful Jew or, or strive or Pharisee were ever party with or any other, or any, or under any circumstances. They were not party with these people because they see these people as unclean or unclean by association. Like many of us see certain kinds of people the same way. So who are these undesirables? Who are they? These they, The people are tax collectors and sinners. And they are guests at Matthew's party, just like Jesus and the other disciples. You see, Jesus is at a house party with sinners and tax collectors. He parties with unclean people in the same space with them, breaks bread with them, engages them personally, laughs and talks with them. These are Jesus' kind of people. Look at verse 10. And Jesus reclines at the table in Matthew's house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners come and recline with Jesus and his disciples. Do you see what's happening? Jesus, his disciples, Matthew, tax collectors and sinners are all relaxing around the table enjoying each other's company. Think about that. Picture it. Many of us won't do that. This party scene shows us another way in which Christ has authority over sin. He's exercising his authority to befriend sinners and people society deems as outcasts. Like one hymn says, Jesus, what a friend of sinners. Jesus, lover of our soul. Friends may fail. Foes may assail us. He, our Savior, makes us whole. Jesus has the authority to befriend sinful people. Do you believe that? Do you believe? He befriended you. So there's no sinner that you know that Jesus is not able to befriend. If you say he can't befriend those types of people, then you really don't understand your own path to salvation. Everybody is redeemable. Everybody can be called into discipleship because Jesus had that type of authority. He does. But not everybody is happy about this, of course. Jesus always meeting the disapproval of, of watching eyes. 
Some disapprove of Jesus' authority to be friends, sinners, and, and hang and hang out with them. They question his motives and intentions. Look at verse 11. When the Pharisees see this, they say to Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why? The message Bible says, what kind of example is this for your teacher? Acting cozy with crooks and, mis- and, 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 and sinners. They don't understand. Why a religious teacher like Jesus, who has this huge following of people, would keep such company? Have you ever asked yourself that question about other Christians and non-Christians? Why do you hang out with those people? Why do you hang out with them? Notice that the disciples don't respond to this question. Jesus does. He overhears it. Then he responds to them in his fashion with a simple, ordinary life illustration. He addresses people who are needy. The the illustration addresses people who are needy and people who are blind to their neediness. Look at verse 12. When Christ hears the, the question, he says to the Pharisees, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. The Pharisees are not the physicians. Okay? And for us, that means pastors and self-righteous Christians. We're not the physicians. Jesus is the physician. All the guests at this house party are sick ones. Even the Pharisees. They're just, they're just deceived by their own self-righteousness. The sickness is sin. That's the sickness. And in verse 13, Jesus says to them, go and learn what this means. Quoting from Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. But sinners. Remember, Jesus has full authority over sin. Authority to forgive it. The authority to call sinners sinful people to repentance, the authority to call sinful people into discipleship, the authority to befriend sinners, and he also has the authority to extend mercy, compassion, grace, and kindness to them. Notice at the party, he's not judging these folks. He's connecting with them. And that's what he's doing in this house. He wants to extend the same mercy and compassion, and kindness, and grace to you. If you're not a Christian, then Jesus is calling you to be one. To be one. He'll enter your house the same way he enters this house. He'll break bread with you, but he's there in order to make you well. Amen. All you have to do Just confess and repent of your sin. Acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross for your sin as your substitute. And finally, submit and surrender to him as both your Savior and Lord. Because remember, he, does, he has not come to call the righteous. He has come to call sinners to repentance. He has full authority to do so. Full authority. And his authority is not a... 
fragile card carrying authority. It's authority from on high. It's divine. It's otherworldly. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to Christ at this moment. He doesn't get that authority at the resurrection. He's born with it. He's born with it. He was the when he was born as a baby. He had that authority before he could even speak. Let's put it this way: while he was in Mary's womb, he had it. He had it. He had it. That is the authority of the way. And right here, Matthew nine. Jesus is exercising that authority for the glory of God and for the good of those around him. And some people respond to his authority with gladness, awe, submission, and faith. And others respond with criticism, questions, and denials. Same thing happens today. And in our text, the scribes and the Pharisees are the ones who criticize, question, and deny. This is it. Those who do not see that need for a Savior... You will criticize anything Jesus does because you don't think you need him. Because everyone who, who comes to Jesus and responds to him in faith, these are people who have awareness of their brokenness. They have awareness of their need. This, you, you got to be really full of yourself to come question Jesus Christ. I mean, you really got to be full of yourself to think you have a, the right to question what he does. And these folks, they don't even know who they're dealing with. And Jesus is extending mercy to them by being by engaging them with these questions. That's mercy. That's mercy. That's grace. That's compassion. And that's kindness. In verses 14 through 17, another religious group come to Jesus to question his authority. Now, this group... This group is close to home because this group comes from a people that Jesus knows. This group comes from the person who was called to be the forerunner of Christ. They're the disciples of John the Baptist. Look at verse 14. Then the disciples of John come to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. They're questioning the spiritual practices of Jesus' disciples. And in that, they're questioning what Jesus is actually teaching them. Why are your disciples not like us? Why, why aren't they practicing the spiritual disciplines like fasting, like us? Why are they doing their own thing? Why are y'all being so different than the rest of us? Jesus, why? And again, he answers them with more illustrations. This is just Jesus' way of ministering. He gives three illustrations. And the first illustration, it shows us that Jesus has authority over spiritual discipline by fasting. It begins with a question that looks for a negative answer. And then it explains to John's disciples why Jesus' disciples are not fasting like them and the Pharisees. Look at verse 14. And Christ says to them, can a wedding guest mourn? As long as the bridegroom is with them, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away. Then they will fast. Jesus is the bridegroom. The wedding guests are the disciples. 
And they don't have to mourn and fast because the presence of the bridegroom is with them. You see that? Jesus is present with his disciples. So there's no need for them to fast and mourn when they get to enjoy his presence. One author says, fasting is not appropriate if the kingdom is being manifested in Jesus' mighty deeds. There's no need. The disciples were mourning fast when Christ is taken away from them, and that is a reference to his death on a cross, because that's when he's taken away. Until then, they get to enjoy his presence and watch him spread the good news of the kingdom. But what does this mean for us? In 2021, it means Jesus has authority over your spiritual disciplines and practices. Don't disconnect him from them. You can spend quiet, you can have quiet times and Jesus is not even part of it. Because you're more worried about the practice of it than connecting with Jesus personally and deeply. So you fast and you pray and you read the word in order to commune with Christ. Not so you can check a box to add to your spiritual resume. He has authority over those spiritual disciplines. They are a way for you to connect with him um, intimately and relationally. The next two illustrations are about uh, what people don't practice. And both of them make a distinction between Jesus and the religious system and practices of the day. Look at verse 16. Christ says, no one puts the piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. No one patches an old garment by using a patch of new cloth. For the new cloth, the new patch, will tear away from the old garment and make it worse. You see, Jesus isn't here to patch up the wear and tear of Judaism. That's not why he's there. He's not there to to fill in the missing link in their religious system and practices. He's here to make all things new. That's why he's here. The same point is being made in the next illustration of verse 17. He says, neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the the, the, the skin will burst and the wine is spilled and the, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put in fresh wineskins. So both are preserved. Jesus is the new wine. And he cannot be poured in the old wine skins of their religious practices and systems. He is poured into a new wine skin. And I believe that is the new covenant. See, Jesus is exercising his authority to move away from the old and to bring in the new. In Matthew 4, verse 17, he begins his earthly ministry with these words. Repent, for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's new wine. Because no one else, no prophet, no priest, no high priest, can make that statement and it be true. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is new wine. He's also exercised his authority to fulfill the Old Testament. Remember what he says in, in verses in Matthew 5, verse 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
you see, he's he's not here to act to patch up the old system. He's here to make everything new. That's why he's here. And again, they don't understand it. And again, what does this mean for us? It means Jesus isn't going to be a patch on your ministry platform and political platform. He's not going to do that. He's not going to be a patch on your agenda. He's not going to let you patch him onto your social and political causes. He's not going to let you trap him in your religious and theological box. Jesus has the authority to tell y'all that's not going to happen. And he has the authority to tell y'all he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. And what do y'all have? All you have is a fragile card carrying authority compared to the authority of Christ. That's it. I don't care how spiritual you are, how many degrees you have, how much theology you have, you ain't on this level. You ain't ever going to be on this level. Have any of you ever been interrupted by another person while you're in the middle of a conversation? Talking on the phone, telling a story, doing homework, project for work? And the answer is yes. We've been interrupted and we have interrupted others. English philosopher John Locke says, there can be there can be there cannot be greater rudeness than to interrupt another in the current of his discourse. And if Locke is correct, then what happens in verses 18 through 30, 26 will be considered rude by him and by even by some of you. You see, while Jesus is in the middle of this conversation with John's disciples, a person with authority interrupts him. He's interrupted. The person is a local synagogue ruler. And he comes and he falls down before Jesus because he's in great grief and because he has experienced a great loss. His daughter has died. So he comes in and he interrupts the conversation. Look at verse 19. It says, while he was saying these things, behold, a ruler comes in and kneels before him saying, my daughter has just died. But come and lay your hands on her and she will live. This man comes believing that Jesus Christ has the authority to resurrect his daughter from the dead. So Jesus gets up. No question. He follows the man. But along the way, he's interrupted again. This time by a woman who is living with a 12-year physical illness. She doesn't stop Jesus to ask him for help. She simply believes if she only touches the fringe of his garment, she will be healed. Look at verses 20 through 22. And behold, a woman who has suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years comes up behind him, touches the fringe of his garment. For she says to herself, if I can only touch his garment, I will be made well. And Jesus turns and, and seeing her, he says, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly, the woman was made well. TVC guests and saints, please hear this. Christ allows people to interrupt him with their needs, their sufferings, and their griefs. He's never too busy. Think about that. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And yet he's still approachable. 
He has authority. All authority in heaven and on earth. And yet, he's still approachable. Think about all the people who, who have authority on earth. You can't get to them. They got entourage. They got security people. You can't even get close and shake their hand. But you have Jesus Christ, whose authority is greater than them, and yet he's saying, you can, you can, you can touch me. You can come into my presence. You can interrupt me, and I will receive you. Who else has authority and uses it that way? Nobody else. He makes time for people. And here's another thing. His authority is not oppressive and abusive. It's merciful and healing. Who else has authority and use it that way? He has authority over suffering. He has authority over sickness. And he has authority over hardships. And he has authority over social and cultural norms. About the fact that this sister comes to him and touches him, he's breaking down social barriers with that because of how women were viewed during this time. Jesus has authority over that because he's saying, I have the authority to minister to all image bearers, not just a select few. All of them are welcome to come into my presence. That's what he shows us here. And he shows the same thing in, in verses 27 to 31 when he heals the two blind men. He has that authority. No one else can. No one else can do what he does. And in verses 23 through 26, when he finally gets to the ruler's house, he does resurrect his daughter. It shows us that Christ has authority over death, even before the cross. And resurrection. And again, he had authority over death in the womb. He just didn't gain it when he grew up, became a man. He was born with it. Please know that. Please know that. We, 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 know, we, we say Jesus is great, but we really have no idea how great he really is. You have God in the flesh who who, who, who was found in the image of man. He was in greatness. But yet because of our you know, situation, he says, I'm going to come down. I'm going to condescend. And I'm going to come down and, and, and do life with them, but also die for them. And he doesn't do that for friends. He's doing that for enemies. He turns enemies into friends, orphans into daughters. And, and the self-righteous Pharisees, they, they think they're on God's side. The scribes, they think they're on God's side. They don't think they need God's grace as much as these tax collectors and sinners. And some of us, if, if we've been walking with Christ for so long, we start to develop the same thinking. No. Don't forget. You used to be one of them. <laughs> Until the Holy Spirit regenerate your heart and you said yes to Jesus. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Finally, in verses 32 to 33, we see Jesus exercising authority over spiritual forces of evil before the cross, before the resurrection. You see, we, 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 
We all, we know the cross and resurrection are important. Please, please, please know that. And on the cross and resurrection, he defeated sin, death, and the enemy. But he already had authority over him, even before that. And this is what he's showing us in, in chapter 9. He has that authority right now. Look at, look at these verses with me. And when, when they were going away, again, this is Matthew way of saying, pay attention. Behold, a demon oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. Like Jesus is just, Jesus is just tearing things down. The people don't know what to do with him. <laughs> and if he was here today, we'd call him a heretic. Because he, does, he doesn't fit into our system. Doesn't fit into our way of doing church. Doesn't fit into our way of doing theology. And that is what he's actually doing. He's saying, I don't fit into what you're doing. You don't even have a category to explain me or a box that can hold me. Because I am the Christ. I am Emmanuel. I am the God man. I am God in the flesh. And what I'm doing here, you don't even have a category for it yet. I'm here to make all things new. None of these things have ever been seen in Israel because Christ was not on the scene yet. But he's on the scene now. Exercising his God-given authority for God's glory and for the good of those around him. But do you believe that he still has that same authority? Or did it die away when he died? No. Even right now, even though you cannot see him, even though he, he is not physically here with us, his authority is still here. It is still being experienced. It is still being exercised. Please know that. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. He's the one that's doing it. And you got to believe, if you are a Christian today, you got to know that the authority of the way, the authority that Christ has, nothing can ever stop him from doing what he's going to do. He said his, he builds his church on this rock and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is the truth. No cap. That is the truth. He says that he is with his people to the end and that is the truth. No cap. He says on the way, the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. That is true. No cap. He says, bring to me all your, 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 your frustrations and your burdens because I care for you. That is true. No cap. All who are burdened and heavy laden, come to me, take my yoke, which is easy. No cap. No lies. And so those of us who are Christians, those of us who walk with Christ, whose authority do you confessionally and functionally live under? So we confessionally say we live under Christ. But functionally, of course, we have others. But what you confess should also be what you functionally live. They have to go together. So if you're living on the authority of Christ, then you realize that what you're seeing him do right here in Matthew 9, he is still doing today. 
and you can enjoy and watch him do his thing. And you get to be part of it because you're his. His victory is our victory. Have you thought about that? His victory is your victory. And as beloved sons and daughters, we get to continue what he started. By taking the good news, by taking the gospel to the nations, we get to we have the privilege to be able to befriend sinful people, to connect them to Jesus. We 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 don't have to live with a spirit of judgment over others because we realize that we are walking testimonies of God's grace and we want other people to experience that same grace. We get to know that that there are no lost causes. Christ is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think. And so some of us, we just need to ask the Holy Spirit, blow my mind with the authority of Christ. I've fallen asleep on him. Or I have, I have, I have put him in a theological box and I don't allow him to, to blow my mind anymore. When was the last time Jesus just blew your mind? When was the last time you opened this book and said, but man, I've been reading that verse for 20 years, and I've never seen that before. That's one of those moments. Because you would never, ever get to a place where you can take all this in and say you've got it all figured out. Now, I'm, a, I'm as a Presbyterian, I am covenantal in my theology, and I am informed in my theology. But I don't believe my theology has it all figured out. There's still much I need to learn. And if I said I did, then I would be on the same level as the Pharisees. Coming to Jesus, trying to define Jesus by my own view, instead of letting Jesus define himself with his own word. I'll close with this quote from our sister Beth Moore. She says, No matter what authority Satan and his subjects have temporarily been allowed in this world system. Christ can pull rank anytime he wants to. I'm going to read that again. No matter what authority Satan and his subjects have temporarily been allowed in this world system, Christ can pull rank anytime he wants to. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have pulled rank and you continue to pull rank. Just give us the spiritual eyes to see that as your people, we live under your authority. And that is a good thing. And that is your lordship over our life. And so thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you for being good. Thank you for being merciful and compassionate and kind to sinners. Thank you that you dine with us. You break bread with us. You befriend us. And you love and like us. My prayer is that for, for us this week, we will go out. Holy Spirit, you just give us, a, 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 you help our unbelief. Help our unbelief. Help us to trust more in what Christ has done for us than trusted in what we're trying to do for him. I pray for all of this. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. Will you please stand for the...
uh, benediction. Again, thank you so much for joining us for our worship gathering. Those of you who are online, also thank you so much for, for being with us. And here's God's benediction to his beloved sons and daughters. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his holy God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Please greet one another with an elbow bump.